Amen. Good morning. Turn around and say good morning to somebody. Give them a big smile. Tell them welcome to Grace Point. I want you to do something for me this morning. By now, I want you to think about who needs to be here that you know that's not here. I'm not talking about somebody that's already part of the church, but just somebody in your family, friend, coworker, neighbor that needs the message of the gospel, that needs God's grace. When you left your home, they were still sitting there. Anybody know anybody like that? Can you just pray for them right now? You know God's able to touch and reach and illuminate their heart, their eyes to their need for Jesus. That's what this world needs, amen? We're going to be talking about our greatest need in a minute. A lot of people got different opinions of what that is. Let's just go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we love you, and we're so thankful that we're loved by you, that we love you because you first loved us, and you demonstrated that love by going to the cross while we were yet sinners. Father, I pray that that message, that that unimaginable love that you would suffer so much for us with no guarantee that we believe in you. But you invested your life. You poured out your life for the sin of the world. I pray, Father, that you would touch our family, the people that's, that just come to our heart right now, needs to hear this message, needs to be in the house of God. Father, we ask you by the power of the Spirit that their scales would fall from their eyes, that the blindness upon their minds would go and that they would be able to hear and to receive and to accept and believe the gospel, the power of God, the Son to salvation to them that hear it, them that receive it. Father, we give you praise for it today in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. 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 You may be seated. Today, I want to talk about our greatest need. If I was to go around the church and ask you what you feel like your greatest need is, it would be a varied response, I'm sure. And I've had a lot of uh, folks over the past few months, really, to say a lot of things that they felt like that's our greatest need. I want to deal with this in a moment. Some people say America's greatest need is revival. And uh, I want to address that in a moment, not right now. Some people say that, that it's this, it's that. Some people put their hope in political leaders. People put their hope in a lot of things. Um, ever so often, and I did it just uh, probably about, 10 days, 14 days ago, uh, my book, we, we was called, you know, you, or you know this on Facebook, but we boosted the post. In other words, the Amazon, my book can be bought on Amazon and downloaded or whatever. And of course, most of you, how many of you have read my book? And look at it, most everybody in here. If you haven't, we want you to get a copy of it. Uh, if you don't have the $20, tell them I said let you have it, okay? Um, and I'm serious about that. But uh, I want everybody that is part of this house to, to, to get that. It's, not, it's an easy read, short uh, book, I think. And it's entitled Myths that have, 
are heard in church. And I grew up hearing most of those that I addressed in the book, and I could have made the book twice as thick and, um, and covered a lot of those things. But one thing I noticed this last booth that we did, and, of course, it goes to wherever. I don't know what states, and, you know, that's all up to Facebook and their algorithm. Uh, but, in other words, that, that post that we had when our book came out, uh, we re reboosted it. And, uh, and, of course, people can respond. They can, they can write things back and comment and uh and so i would just say to you that even the whole in my opinion and this is not a scientific survey but uh the response this time and you're always going to get some negative you put anything out on facebook there's going to somebody got something negative to say about it and uh, that's why a lot of people just can't deal with it can't take it and i get that uh there's times i can't deal with it and you can't take it but I, I have noticed, uh, like seemed like this time, I had an uh, inordinate amount of comments. It wasn't such a negative book. They ain't even read the book. But, they, you know, comments were like this. The real myth is God. God's the myth. Uh, another, you know, another, basically, that was the stream or the vein of the comments. A lot of comments, of course, I delete them when I see them and get them off my page. I'm not going to pay for them to advertise their atheism, you know. <laughs> But, but, but a lot of people seem like, you know, are angry. They, they don't believe in God. One guy wrote and commented, you know, there's nothing supernatural. He said, I put this in the same category with magic and, and magicians. And, you know, in, in other words, and, and there's a cynicism of believing in God, just believing in God, period, that God exists. And, and there's a lot of reasons that people don't believe in God. And, and you've got to understand a lot of these people have no paradigm at all for God, and and but and, and of course those are the people that's going to take the time to comment. They're, they're the ones that's going to. They're not. They're going to extol. You know, they're not like Christians. They're not going to be quiet with their witness. They're going to witness their atheism. You hear what I'm saying? And I don't mean that condemning, but I mean we need to speak up. We need to say something about what we believe and who we believe in, and not be cowered down by this world because their voice. They're going to let be known their position. And, and they're going to slam and mock and ridicule. And, and, of course, it's tempting to me when I see them kind of comments like, well, you may not believe in it now. You know, I, I, I got things to say back. You know, you believe me. I, brilliant things come to my mind that I could say. But I'm not going to get in a, in a war of words with those kind of people. Because that's not how you're going to win them. You're not going to win anybody by arguing with them. And then sometimes people say our greatest need is we, you know, it's the power of God. We need to have you know, and, and I believe in that. We, we need a demonstration of the Spirit of God. But you understand that the, just miracles themselves, it's not going to convince people that God is real or, or that God loves them or anything like that. Now, it can, it can really, I mean, I believe in that. Paul said the gospel he preached was not in word only, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of the power of God. Um, you know, and, and, and we need that. We, we need to, to be aware of that. And my heart has mercy for a lot of these people really that don't even believe in God because the God that the church as a, as a broad breaststroke now, the God that most of the church has, has proclaimed and portrayed and preached is far from the true and living God that we know. And, uh, and, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on, on these and I, I mention these fairly often, but, but one of the reasons that, that people don't believe in God is because of what the church has said about God. And the explanations that, that we've given to God. And when you 
when, you know, when, when like these, these storms happen and like, you know, when Katrina hit New Orleans and the church comes out and says God was behind that, that God did that. that. That's why these people don't believe in God because they, they don't want nothing to do with a God like that and rightly so because God was not behind that. God was not punishing them and judging them and, 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 and those kind of things, but a lot of the church still believes that. They, they, uh, they see God as an angry God. And that goes back deep into the history of this nation and, and most of its preaching. And, uh, but listen, our concept of God must come from Jesus Christ himself. And I've told you this statement over and over, but anything that you think you know about God, I'm talking about his nature, his, his character, who he is, that, that, that knowledge of who God is, listen to me, it must come from the revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus came to reveal the Father to us. So anything that you think you know about God because you've read the Old Testament, you, you have to call it into question. See, and don't ask me, well, what about Job? What, what about Jesus? That's what I want to ask you about. Job, I'm not a follower of Job. I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm not a disciple of Job. Job's in the Bible. It's written for us, but it's not written to you. Every little thing that Job said wasn't right. For example, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. That's not who God is. God says he gives gifts and they are irrevocable. But Job didn't know that and he uttered out things that he said that he, that he didn't know. Job spoke a lot of things. Job didn't have a Bible. You know, and, and, and he didn't have the revelation he, that you have. He, didn't, he wasn't saved, if you will. You understand? Nobody in the old covenant was born again. Moses, David, Abraham, Isaac, none of them, they're not born again because they can't get born again until Jesus is resurrected from the grave. They were looking forward to the cross. You and I now look back to the cross, but we have the privilege of the Holy Spirit not only being with us, but in us. The old covenant, the Holy Spirit would come upon them at times, like he would come upon Samson and empower him supernaturally, come upon David, but he didn't indwell them because they were not changed. They were not new creations in in Christ. And so that's why Jesus wasn't lying when he told his disciples, it's to your advantage that I go away. Because he said, if I don't go away, the comforter cannot come. It will not come. But he, not only will he be with you, but he shall be in you. And so that's, that's the privilege that we have. But Jesus revealed the Father to us. So anything you think you know about God, don't get, get out of that, that thought process of seeing God as the angry God, Jesus as the kindly son, and the Holy Spirit as a bird. Dove. You, you with me? But that's the picture of a lot of the church's theology of the Trinity, and it's so wrong. There's one God, only one God. One God. Hear ye, O God. One God, O Israel. And that's, uh, that, that God is manifested in three personalities, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so Jesus, when we see Jesus, he, remember he wept over Jerusalem. He cried over Jerusalem, and, and, and he said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you know, how often did I want you to come unto me, but you wouldn't do it. He, he, he wept over them, and, and he was actually sad. And, and when he saw the sin, when God saw the sin of Noah's day, it says his heart was grieved because of it. I mean, uh, I mean, this is a God that is touched by the, the, the things that's going on. And, 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 and it also says the angels in heaven rejoice when one person in the earth believes and puts their faith in Jesus Christ. Is that right? And, and, and they're, not, they're not up there joy, rejoicing without God. They're, in other words, the angels are not rejoicing and God's sitting there like this. <laughs> they're rejoicing because he's rejoicing. 
Remember when he gave his disciples authority over the demons and so forth, and they went out and cast out devils, and they came back, and they said in Luke 10, they said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us, and they, and they rejoiced. And, it, and, and the Bible actually portrays in the Greek that Jesus spun around wildly is the word used in Greek. It's what it means to spin around. He rejoiced over their victory, their success. That's who he is. So anything you think you know about God, you've got to get it out of, out of Jesus. How many people did Jesus ever leave sick? How many storms did he, Jesus ever send anywhere to get people and pay them back? And that, that many. The disciples one time said this town that rejected Jesus and they didn't even want him to come preach. You know, John, the disciple that got the revelation of the love of God, <laughs> that guy, he's standing out there mad at the city limits saying, let's burn this place to the ground. Jesus says, John, you don't even know what kind of spirit you're in. He said, I didn't come to destroy life, but to, uh, to give life. And so we, we've got, you know, this other teaching is why some of these people, they, 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 they don't even believe in God because they've heard the church's witness of God. And, and that's, not a, that's not a condemning thing other than it's just a thing. We need to get it, we need to get it together. We need to start giving an accurate representation of who God is. Uh, this thing about God's in control. The church loves, I, I can't get them to shut up on that. I wish I could. But they just keep posting that on Facebook. They just keep pushing that doctrine that God's in control. Any bad thing that happens, God's in control. You know, every, I mean, everything, God's in control. God, God's not in control of this earth, of what happens his will is not done on this earth like it's done in heaven. That's why he said, pray that my will would be done on earth. Jesus said, it's not my will that anybody should perish. But people perish every moment of every day. That's not God's will. God's will is not being done on earth like it is in heaven. Uh, the Bible says the heavens belong to the Lord in Psalms 115, but the earth he gave to the sons of men. And he, he really gave it, and they really gave it away to Satan, Adam, in the garden. Remember the temptation of Jesus. You know, uh, he's being tempted, and Satan is there talking to him, and, and Satan shows him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment, and the authority and splendor of those kingdoms. And he, and he said, he told Jesus, all of this was delivered to me. All this authority, all this, this I'm, you know, over, I'm over all of this. Jesus called him the God of this world. He called him the prince and the power of the air. And, and Satan told Jesus, he said, all this was delivered. Jesus never said, you liar. Jesus knew it was delivered to him. He said, for all of this has been delivered unto me, and I can give it to whomever I will. Yeah, that was true. Who gave it to him? Adam. Who took it away from him? Adam, the last Adam, Jesus himself. He took back the keys, the authority. He, 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 and, he, and what did he do with it? He gave it to the church. But God's in charge. You don't have to be afraid. That's not to make you, and that doesn't have anything to do with the sovereignty of God. God's still sovereign. But you're in, you're in charge of your life. God's not controlling you like a robot. I mean, and if he's not in charge of you, and you're born again and, and surrendered to him, how much less is he in charge of the people that's not putting their faith in him? But I've told you this over and over. It's like the Valdosta Police Department. They're not in control of Valdosta. They're in charge. They're not in control. 
don't sit there and watch a storm come through or something bad happen. Or God's in control. Don't question God. God never makes a mistake. All that is just religious bull. And there's little men's puny brains trying to explain with religion what they'd have no clue what they're talking about. I mean, who, who would... Who would want to have a relationship with a God like that? A God that would just sit there and stand by and watch your daughter or son, little kid, be molested by somebody and not lift. I mean, what kind of God? Who wants to worship a God like that? Or a God that would just arbitrarily reach down and go, yeah, I believe I'll take your kid to heaven. I want him in heaven. And he just, you know, now you got a four-year-old being buried because God took him. God picked a flower for the bouquet table of heaven. Well, if I ever hear that again, I don't know if I'm, be, I'm, I'm you know, be able to sit through it anymore. Some preacher heard one preacher say that, <clears throat> thought it sounded good, and been echoing it ever since. And, and people hate God because of that kind of stuff. I mean, you, you, I mean, it's your kid they're burying. I mean, how you, how you supposed to turn around and worship a God that just snatched your kid from you because he decided he needed another angel in heaven? You'll never be an angel. Stop, stop saying stupid stuff. Well, the Lord needed an angel. You will never be an angel. There's nothing you can do to make yourself an angel because you are a higher being than that. You will judge angels. The New Testament says you will judge angels, right? You're not an angel. You're, you're, I thought the Bible said we were created lower than angels. That's not what it says. That's because the translators in the Old Covenant quoting that verse got scared. It actually says in the Hebrew that, that we were made a little lower than Elohim. That's what it says. But the translators took out Elohim and put angels there because they just, they couldn't even fathom in the old, the translators that, that we could be made lower, a little lower than God and higher than angels. You're not God. You're never going to be God. Right? Y'all getting mighty quiet on me. But we just say stuff, and I, you go to funerals and preach, well, the, you know, the Lord needed another angel. I guess he just needed another angel in heaven. No, he didn't need another angel. If he needed another angel, angel, he could just belch one. He could just say angel, and there would be a myriad of angels. God's not lost his creative power. He don't need to snatch you out of your shoes because he needs help in heaven. He don't need you in heaven. He needs you right here. He needs you to be the ambassador for him that he's called you to be. To, to represent him, represent him to a world that so desperately needs to see living epistles that can be read of all men. They may not read the Bible, but they'll read you. Yeah. Preach, Brother Dale, I believe I will. God would never will the pain or the hurt that comes from such things. Loss of a kid, death from a cancer to, to people and yet you've still got a large segment of the church that runs around and tells, said that God, you know, well he didn't cause it but he allowed it. Knock it off man, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. Same thing. Your little word play, don't, it don't work. Same thing. So you can play games in your head and go, well he didn't allow, he didn't cause it but he, oh it's the same thing man. If I allow a murder or cause it, it's to, you, you, you're going to jail. Either way, you're going to jail, right? So we just got to know much of what happens in the earth is simply the price that we pay, the world pays for having free will people on the planet that can choose what they want to do. If God wanted robots, he would have made them.
uh, one, the other thing that we kind of grew up in is the church that I grew up in, and I, I don't mean a specific church, but the church as a whole, again, broad brushstroke here, but made knowing the Bible more important than knowing God. And they really drilled Bible memorization into us, and we had to memorize scripture, stuff like that. And you go, what's wrong with that? Because that's not what you're supposed to be doing. That's just man's attempt to try to do busy work. The Muslims do that. I'm not going to try to memorize more Bible than I can become. Right? The, the Jesus said in John 5 and 39, he, he, told, he, told, he told the most religious crowd ever listened to him. He said, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. He said, you're searching scriptures every day because you think those scriptures give you eternal life. He said, but those scriptures speak of me. And then he went on to say this. Jesus said, and you're not willing to come to me that you might have life. I told you I remember one time I was preaching a revival at a particular church in, in Alma, and uh, a friend of mine had just been there three months, and he wanted me to come and, and, and preach a revival, and I did. And I started on a Sunday night. It was one of those kind of traditional churches where the pastor would have me to go out and stand in the vestibule with him, and we would shake everybody's hand as they came out of the filed out of the church. And that's, that was cool, I, I, you know. And, uh, but it forces people to have to shake your hand, and it forces them to have to say something to you, which it causes many people to lie. In other words, they have to say, I enjoyed that, when they really didn't. Puts them in an awkward position. And so uh, I remember this particular man, he just stood out to me. He came through the line, and he shook my hand, and he said, you, he said well, he looked at me right now, you know, he just shook my hand real, and, and he didn't look like he was happy at all. And he said, well, you give me something to think about. And he just went on. You know, I thought, well, you know, there's one in every crowd. Here we go with this guy. And then the next night, he said something about the same way. That was, that was Sunday night. And then Monday night, he's the same way. But he was, but he was back, you know. And then uh, <clears throat> Tuesday night, you know, and he just wasn't a friendly guy. And he acted like he was just getting more irritated as the week went along. And this is the truth I'm telling you. So on Wednesday night, he, when he reached to grab my hand to shake my hand, and the pastor standing right by me. In fact, the pastor had commented to me. He said, that guy, I don't know who that guy is, but he, he's not one of my members. So he was like saying, I ain't claiming that guy. So don't look at it like he's one of ours because he's not. He said, I've never seen him, the guy before. And I, you know, I said, it's okay, it's cool. And in uh, and, and that particular revival, uh, we were giving away CDs or cassettes or whatever we had for, you know, just giving them out. And, uh, and, and, man, they were cleaning the table off. I remember commenting was they were dumping them all in the dumpster out back somewhere because we were having to just bring so many into to this church. And, uh, and so that, that Wednesday night, I'll never forget, he grabbed me by the hand and pulled me. And he said, I need to talk with you. And he pulled me out of the vestibule into a little hallway. And he said, I want to talk to you, man. He said, uh, and, he, and none of those nights in this church, anyway, just I wasn't given altar calls for salvation at this point. I hadn't, hadn't done it yet. And uh, it, was, it was a pretty tough place to, to minister, really, to be honest. And um, I remember the, when I preached on Sunday night, the pastor called me Monday and said, you can't preach out of the New King James Bible here. He said one of the deacons called and 
told me to tell you that. I said, that's cool. I know the King James better anyway. So I'm, I'm okay. I'll, I, I will submit to the law of the house. You know what I'm saying? So I'm fine. I'm fine with the King James, but it just freaked them out. I read out the new King James. Oh, my God. See, that's religion does that to you. And you'll see stuff. I see vans running around about us. King James, they got on the side of the van, KJV, King James Version only. <laughs> they letting you know if you come to their church, you better not bring one of them NIVs in here. It stands for nearly inspired version. <laughs> you better bring the Bible that Jesus tote. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, G Jesus toted the King James, I guess. You see how ridiculous we get? People will quit church. They'll, they'll kill you over something like that. So that was kind of, you get to just, you picture me now in that atmosphere. Okay, now you understand. But he pulled me out of the line. He said, I want to tell you something. He said, a Playboy magazine does me better than that Bible. I had never had nobody say that to me just right off the cuff like that. And I'm really thinking in my heart, because I'm just a regular guy, and I'm tired, and I'm driving back two each night, and I just really don't want to be aggravated. The human part of me. And I remember thinking, man, why do I get all the nutcases? But he said, and he said, you know, you preach out of that bum. And he said, he said, I know these people in here, a bunch of them, I know they all a bunch of hypocrites. That's what, and he just starts just tearing them down. You know, a bunch of hypocrites. And they, you know, a bunch of hypocrites come to church out a lot of days. And he just wading in, man. I'm like, God Almighty. I'm like, why, where's, the, where's the security team? Where, where's, and he's just wading in. But I felt that I needed to, to respond properly. And, 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 and he said, that Bible, I've read that Bible. And he, you could tell this guy was a very intellectual person, which sometimes doesn't serve you well. Because this is not a book that you find out with your brain. It's a book you believe with your heart. The Romans says, with the heart man believeth, not with the head, with the heart. Your heart will lead you where your head will never go. This is your brain. This is your brain on the Bible. Remember the commercial? Okay. Your brain is not going to compute with the Bible. It's not going to make sense. God didn't write the Bible to make sense. He wrote it to point us to a person. And if you read any part of the Bible and get anything other than Jesus out of the book of the Bible that you're reading, you miss the point of the book. And it's not just the New Testament. It's not just the four Gospels. Genesis is about Jesus. Exodus is about Jesus. Leviticus is about Jesus. Deuteronomy is about Jesus. Numbers is about, how many, how many want you me to, um, don't make me get started. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And so the book is to point you to a person. And so I told him, I said, I said, I understand. Okay, the playboy, you said, does you better good. But I said, because you're missing the point, man. And I led him and I opened my Bible that he was complaining about. And I read him John 5, 39. I said, this is what Jesus said about his Bible. I said, he told a bunch of religious people, like you said, these people are all religious, bunch of hypocrites. I said, Jesus told those people, you're searching the scriptures because you think that out of them you have eternal life. But those scriptures just speak of me, and you're not willing to come to me. And I said, if you get more in a Playboy book, it's because you've missed the point of the book. I said, you're not willing to come to him. I said, the whole point is for you not to know the Bible, is to know the person of Jesus. 
And he seemed like he kind of calmed down. He didn't argue with me anymore. That was on Wednesday night. I came back the next night, I preached. For the first night of the week, I gave an altar call for salvation. First guy in it was that old man. He was an older guy. He was the first one in the altar. And I didn't run down and dive on him or anything or mess with him, but the pastor who had known, you know, what was going on with this guy, could hear him. He went and knelt on the other side of the altar in front of him and, as we say, led him to Christ or whatever. Just He, he received Jesus that night as his Savior. He went home on Thursday night, took his clothes off, got in bed, had a heart attack and died. That's a true story. Received Christ on Thursday night, went home, got in bed and died. And he goes, the pastor called me on Friday morning and said, man, that guy that came, you know, he died last night, man. And his family knew that he'd been going to this revival because he had been telling them they actually wanted me to preach the funeral. I'm not, I, I just couldn't work it out to, to do it. And he wasn't even a member of that church. Boy, that really kind of sobered me up. What if my response had been just fleshly and aggravated with the guy? But it was something about God's word. It said, this book is not what, you, you're approaching it wrong. And a lot of people approach the Bible in a wrong way, and they miss the whole point of the book. They, 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 just, they just miss it. And, it. and it's to point us to Jesus. And so I'm not going to get into a competition of memorizing Bible verses because it is, it's to point me to Christ. And, 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 and knowing Jesus is the main point of the book is not knowing the Bible. My goal is not, God didn't say as many as are led by the Bible, they are the sons of God. And I am in no shape, form, or fashion demeaning the great privilege and value. But you got you to get this point. For 1,500 years from the time of Christ, nobody owned the Bible. Very few people had parts of it. And if the people did own the Bible, they didn't know how to read it. They couldn't have read it anyway. They was illiterate. They couldn't even read. And yet they made it. None of the disciples had a Bible. Not even a piece of it. But they lived powerful lives for God because they knew the person of God. I, I, I remember when I was a young boy growing up in church and they were talking about the tribulations coming and we need to hide Bibles in the cleft of the rocks, you know, and this and that. And because the Antichrist is going to come take our Bible. He can't take your Bible. They can take a book. But they can't take the Bible. They can't take the word of, you can't take the word of God out of me. The word of God is a person. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. And the word dwelt and tabernacled among us. That word is in me and his name's Jesus. I, my, my life is not contingent on whether I'm toting or, and I love the Bible. I love the Bible. And the Bible that you have in your lap or the laptop that you have that contains the Bible, whichever way you're doing it today, I mean, you, you should have confidence. I mean, people come and they, they, they've rode their bicycle up, you know, to my house and, and, and they've said, we've got another testament of Jesus that we want to talk to you about. And I said, dude, I'm having enough trouble with the first one. I, I, I ain't fist to start another one. I'm good. <laughs> right on, brothers. Because <laughs> y'all don't want to be here no more than I want you here. But you're working your way in to rank and authority.
But you can't pedal your way into this. You can't. And, and, you know, the Bible says of itself, the word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, right? And the symbolism of the, of the, of the lamp is none other than the lamp stand in the Mosaic tabernacle. And that lamp stand, and we've, we, we've had little imagery of it where, you know, a little thing that we've actually brought out at times. But just to say this to you, some people, quit, well, you know, there's supposed to be more books. Well, what about the book of Thomas? And what about the book of this? And, and I watched the Da Vinci Code. And Man, come on, man, you got to knock it off. There's, how many books are there in that book called the Bible? 66. How many is in the Old Testament? 39. How many is in the New? 27. 39, 27 is 66. When God gave the instruction, does God, is God, God's pretty smart. I, I just want to tell you that. And so God knew that we would end up with a canonized version of his words that are made up of 66 books that we now call the Bible. This Bible, it took them over 40 years to write the Bible, and it's written by authors from all different backgrounds off of four different continents. And it agrees and reads as if one person wrote it because one person did, and he's called the Holy Spirit. And men wrote as they were moved on, inspired, by the Holy Spirit. And the one, one of the great proofs that I know God wrote the Bible because if man was writing it, he would have kept out all the murder and the sex and the incest and all the nasty that it includes. But God's got all the nasty right in there. And he's got some of his greatest heroes that was doing the nasty. He said that he was set on the throne of David, yet David committed murder and adultery and lied. and all. But it's in the book because God ain't scared. God's got confidence in himself and his ability to turn us into a new creation in Christ Jesus. Amen? And, and, and so, so that picture of that lampstand, if you could imagine it, it has one center shaft that, it, that actually goes up. And, and remember when God told Moses to, to the, tab, the tabernacle to make that, that, it was made out of one solid piece of gold. And it is huge. It is humongous. It's, it's not a small thing. It's tall as, tall as me. And, and, and that center shaft of that lampstand, it's not a candlestick. There's no candles in it, no wax here. It's olive oil. It's basins at the top with strips of cloth, and they would light them, and it would burn. And so it would have a center shaft, and then it would have, uh, and out of that center shaft come three more tri tributaries. You get in the picture of the lampstand? Three on this side, three on that side. And then he told him, I want you to decorate it with, or, uh, with uh, orna ornamentation. This is what I want you to do. And he said, I want you to do it like this. I want you to put a, a, a seed, a flower, and then an almond. And I want you to put a seed, a flower, and an almond. In other words, it starts with the, that's why the almonds come, a seed, and then it flowers, and then that flower becomes an actual almond, the fruit. God's the one that chose the pattern. And, and so if you count those three, up that center shaft, God said put four there. So you got four different sections, and you have a seed, are y'all following me? A flower, and an almond. You go up a little bit, there's a seed, there's a flower, and there's an almond, seed, flower, almond. Uh, so there's four of those. Four of them three is what? 
12. Coming out this side, on each of those branches, he said, do three of those. So three times three is what? Nine. If you got three times nine, it's what? 27. Hang on with me now. 27 and 12 is what? 39. How many books in the Old Testament? And then on this side, you got three coming out. Three times nine is what? How many books in the New Testament? How many ornaments total in the lamp? 66. You're welcome. God knew there'd be 66 books, and when he said the lamp is going to symbolize my word, he put 66 ornaments in that lamp. I don't know if that helps you or not, but it just makes me want to kiss God in the mouth. I'm like, dog, you're smart. You are so smart. You've got all these things. I don't need no Da Vinci code. I got the Bible to be enough code. I'm still trying to crack that code. God's got it in there. The Word of God, you can just read the Word of God. And, and Well, Thomas wrote a book. Well, bless Thomas's heart, but he didn't get into the book. God chose who got in there. It doesn't mean it's no, of no value. I, I've read a lot from Josephus, a Jewish historian, and it, and it really helps you to understand things. You know, but it's not, I'm not going to equate it with the Word of God. I'm not going to equate it with the Word of God. You know, And you would love to just talk to these people and say, well, God don't even exist. He's a myth. And then your whole book's a myth. And God's the real myth. And, you know, they're just, you know, just barking out all this stuff, you know. And I hit delete and then ban. Because <laughs> if I don't, they're coming in there with second round. And it doesn't mean I don't care. I just, you know, but this is what God says in Romans 1 and 20. Romans 1 and 20 says, for since the creation of the world... His invisible attributes are clearly seen. Now, here God says the invisible things about me are clearly seen. Uh, how is the invisible? See, that, that's almost an oxymoron, invisible but clearly seen. He said, being understood by the things that are made. What's he talking about? His, even his eternal power, the Godhead, and so that they are without excuse. So God says, I don't care what they say, they're without excuse. Because he said they are willingly ignorant. They, they, they choose not to believe. See, if you begin with the premise that God doesn't exist, then you will try to defend your premise. God says that my attributes, everything, it's invisible, right? I'm an invisible God to this world, but it's been clearly seen. And, and so it's like this. When I see an airplane then I automatically know that there, are, there is a creator behind the airplane. Right? When, when I see a beautiful artistic painting, I know there's an artist that painted that. I may never see them. They may be totally invisible to me. But when I see that beautiful painting and all the colors and the detail, I know there's an artist. If I'm walking down the road and I see 10 Coke cans lined up in a row, I know that somebody did that. When I see a watch or a computer, I know that somebody put that together. It doesn't take a rocket science, as they say, to figure this out. I know that if I see 
a, a, a computer and all mother it's designed there's a designer behind it that's all you need to that, that's I mean so that's the way it is with God see a, a, an archaeologist will go out and dig and they'll find an arrowhead an Indian arrowhead they call it and when they pull that out of the ground though they've never met the person that made it they go this just didn't happen somebody fashioned this Somebody created this. Somebody made this. And, but they will not use the same logic when it comes to God. They say, you know, now it's, you know, scientists have just proven the Big Bang theory. Said so it's the Big Bang. And so what the Big Bang says is that back in our universe, our universe has not always been, it had a beginning. And when it began, it began with a Big Bang. It began with a large power source, energy, flash of light, and they go, you know, and, and you think that's just happenstance. I've already read about the Big Bang. It's in the beginning God. When did the Big Bang come? When God said, let there be light, and light was. There's your Big Bang. But no, man can't accept that. It's easier for man to say you crawled out from under a slimy rock and amoebaed yourself up into a tree and ate a banana and swung down and grunted and stood up straight one day. I mean, you, I, I ain't got the faith to believe in evolution. It takes more faith to believe in evolution than it does in creation. I can a lot more easier believe in, God, in the beginning God than I can all that mess. Y'all help me now. <laughs> the complexity of the universe. If our planet, our earth is the perfect size, it's perfect. If it was small as Mars, it could contain no atmosphere that would be livable. There's your science. If it was as large as Jupiter, we'd be covered in hydrogen and you couldn't live on the planet. But the earth is just perfect in its size. And by the way, it has a perfectly distanced moon that causes the tidal flow that keeps the oceans from pure, and it also keeps them from flooding the land. It's just perfect. And the earth is tilted at a perfect axis, and if it was just a few degrees closer to the sun, we would burn. And if we was a few degrees further away, we would freeze to death. But it just happens to be perfectly tilted and perfectly set in the atmosphere. To believe anything other is to say, I went into the junkyard with a stick of dynamite and I lit the dynamite and I ran out and it blowed up. And when it got through blowing up, a 747 appeared ready to run. <laughs> if you can believe in that, then you can believe in all the mess that they try to sell you. No, there's a creator who created and there's a designer who's designed. And there's an artist who has painted. And he has made order in this planet. Amen? Now, if you just willingly choose to just disbelieve in him, then you'll get to meet him. Because the book says, every knee shall bow. And every tongue shall confess that he really is. The Lord. You know? I know you're bad and all that. 
I know you're smart. I don't even believe in God. Atheists, they always say they all dressed up, no place to go, you know, when you bury them. I mean, you don't believe in God? Where are you going? It's ridiculous. Creation screams if you just look at it. God. God made it. There's got to be a creator behind this. Got to be a designer. Got to be a God of order. To set everything in the sun. And, oh, that's, that's God. God could write his name in the sky. God could do anything he wanted to do. But he gives you the privilege. And he puts it all there. And it's just it's clearly seen. All through nature. Some people say, well, you know, man, we're in a mess now, brother. And we need revival. And listen, don't, don't get mad at me, okay? And, and again, I am not on a tear to try to annihilate the word revival from my vocabulary. And to even bring up the possibility that it is not a biblical concept almost seems blasphemous. I get it. But I'm the guy that's assigned to do this kind of stuff. It's my job. The word revival is not a biblical word. It is not ever mentioned one time in the entirety of the New Testament at all. It is never mentioned in the Old Testament or the entirety of the Bible in the way that we use it today. The word revive appears, Lord, will thou not revive us in the Old Covenant. But that is strictly dealing with Israel's apostasy and bringing them back into a relationship with God that they had rejected. But it has nothing to do with your spring revival or your fall revival. And so the word revival itself is not a biblical word. Nobody in the New Testament or the Bible ever prayed for revival. That in itself should just make us pause and reflect just a minute and get our head out of the church religious factory for one second, and at least that makes you go, hmm, revival ain't in there. Jesus never mentioned it. Paul never prayed for it. No disciple did. It ain't in the Bible. But what does America? We need revival. The, the problem I have with the way we see revival is what we define. Revival means different things to different people. I get it. I'm all for re But see, revival in itself to say, God sent revival. See, and I grew up in that revival culture, trying to pray for revival, plead for revival, fast for revival, beg God to send revival. And the problem I have with it is it puts it, the problem with God that he's holding out on us. He's resisting us. There's something that he ain't sending that he should be sending. And if he'd send it, we'd be better off. What we're really saying is I need to be 12 shots. Okay, so what happens in revival? People rededicate their lives, which is non-biblical. Y'all just shout me down while I preach. And so we rededicate our life. I rededicate. We give an altar call for rededicate. How many would like to rededicate your life? Here we come. I rededicate my life in the spring. Take my picture because I'll be back in the fall revival to do it again. And, and the problem is because it portrays that what God does in you fades away and it needs reviving. I was a paramedic. I know what CPR means. I know what to revive somebody means. Revival means revive the dead. You're not dead. God said that you have received the fullness. You don't need revival. The church don't need revival. 
See how quiet it is? The church don't need revival. The church needs what Paul prayed. Pa Paul prayed in Ephesians, and, and, and this, this is what he prayed. Ephesians 1 and 16, this is what he prayed for the church. He said, I, I do not cease to give thanks for you, and I make mention of you often in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you. This is what he prayed for. This is what my prayer is, he said. I, I pray that God would give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened. And that you would know what is the hope of his calling in you. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. See, that's, that's, the church don't need revival. The church needs revelation. It needs revelation that what God put in you is sufficient. It did not diminish. It has not faded away. You have received the fullness of God, not the halfness. The Bible said you are complete in him, New Testament. You're complete in him. There's nothing missing. Nothing, nothing, there's nothing missing. But the problem is we get lulled to sleep. We get, we, 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 we get where we just we get ignorant of what really we carry. We don't know that we have the power of God. We, we don't know. the God says, I, I need, see, the word revelation doesn't mean that something appears like poof and it didn't exist and now it does. It means, the word revelation means to reveal what's always been there. It would be like putting a tablecloth over a gold uh, uh, bowl. And, and the, the bowl's there. It's just covered. You, you know, but the revelation pulls the cover off of the, and there you see it. It's been there the whole time. See, the church has got to wake up in America that, that your answer is not in the White House. Your, your answer is not in any kind of person. Other, the church is always looking for a hero. They want it to be a hero. We want somebody. To, we already got one. His name's Jesus. You, you already got one. You already got a hero. And you go, oh, I've heard about him. See, you, you, you're diminishing what God's done. And, and, and I mean, and you, you just don't see it. I, I grew up in revival. We would have revival. I mean, my, and I'm, I'm not knocking it, God. I'm not knocking it. Listen, if you're talking about renewal and refresh, I mean, I'm, I'm for that. Times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord in the book of Acts. I, hey, I get that. If you want to call that revival, I'm not fixing to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with you over the word revival, but I'm telling you what, you can't flip to no verse and show it to me. I can tell you that. It ain't in there, buddy. It just ain't in there. And nobody ever prayed for it. Nobody ever talked about it. You got one obscure verse in the old covenant. Lord, will thou not revive us again? And now we got to have a spring revival, fall revival, this revival, that revival, need revival, go revival. And buddy, I've been to revivals and I've been to them. And, but, but it's like, you know, you, you, you go, you get rededicated, you recommit, and then next thing you know, and, then, and it teaches people that it just fades away and then you got to get fired up again. Got to get on fire for God. Brother, you on fire for God, I tell you. If you ain't on fire, you make God sick, he'll vomit you out of his mouth. I'll preach on that one Sunday because that, that ain't what he said and that ain't what it means. I tell you, you make God sick. I used to hear, I'd sit under preaching like that. You make God sick. If you know, if you, you make God, he vomits you out of his mouth because you ain't on fire. But the person talking like, I'm, they on fire. That just means you're emotionally 
excited right now. I'm on fire for God. I'm on fire. <laughs> See, that's the problem. It reduces the word revival to an emotional experience that comes and goes. Because you're not going to feel like that every day. Some days you're going to have to go to work like this. But you're still saved. God's still in you. God's still for you. The power of God that raised Jesus from the dead dwells within you. Amen? <laughs> Am I just acting crazy today or are y'all just looking at me crazy? <laughs> Both. <laughs> okay, I heard it. I, 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 you know, and here, and I know when I say stuff like that, we don't need revival. Oh, God, here it comes. But I'll be home this afternoon, delete, delete, delete. <laughs> but it ain't in there, guys. But if we would come to the revelation that you are the righteous of God in Christ, that the, Jesus, he, he did a good work in you. Yeah, I mean, I, I want to be fired up and excited about, I mean, yeah, I, I, I understand all that. But I, I don't need some person, Jesus fires me up. I'm pretty fired up over him. I'm pretty excited over Jesus. When I really focus on Jesus, and, and sometimes, I, I, even yesterday, I felt myself focusing on me, looking at myself. And, 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 it, and it wasn't causing me to elevate when I was doing that. And I, I caught myself, and I just said this little prayer in my heart. I said, Lord, help me to focus on you. Help me to get my eyes back on you. Lord, help me to see you. And then I could feel myself being pulled away from that pit. And I started focusing on, because I started, Satan is always trying to get you to look at yourself. That's what he did in the garden. First thing they did, you know, they looked at themselves. Oh, we're naked. We got to do something. We got to fix our problem. We got, we made our bed. We got, so, and, and, and the good idea they came up with, with fig leaves. As smart as Adam was, this is his, this is his solution, fig leaves. That makes me think, Adam, come on, man. That's what he made, fig leaves for clothes. See, man's always trying to use religion. That's our silly religion. You're trying to fix your problem. I, I need to fix myself, and then I'll come to the Lord. You, you, you can't fix it. That, that's why God came. And, and God still came. Adam, where, he, he said, Lord, I, I, was, I was afraid. I heard you coming, and I, we were naked, and so we hid ourselves. And this is what God said. Who told you you were naked? See, it's extremely important what you listen to and whom you listen to. Because if they're telling you you're naked when you're not, you're going to believe you're naked and you're going to act like you're naked. If they're telling you you're dirty, if they're telling you you're not righteous, if they're telling you you're not holy, if they're telling you that you need a revival to be, if they're telling you this stuff, then you're going to live that lie. God says it's important who you've been listening to. Somebody had to tell you this because I didn't tell you, but you've been talking to the wrong person at the wrong tree. And you've been trying to do good and stay away from evil. And you think that's life. That's got nothing to do with it. There's one tree, and that's my son, the tree of life. That's where you got to hang out. That's where you got you to eat from that fruit. Because it ain't about you, it's about him. And all that other stuff, when you get elevated in him, it'll drag you out of the mire of all that other stuff. I told you, you don't have to come into a dark room and have a six-week prayer meeting to command the darkness to get out so we can cut the lights on. Yeah. 
How do you deal with the darkness in this room? Turn the lights on. What does the light do? It displaces and drives out the darkness. God said, the entrance of my word bringeth light. God's word brings light. When I spoke to that man that Thursday night and that, or that Wednesday night and that revival, and I said, this is the word of God. This is what Jesus said about the Bible that you're complaining about. You, you're searching the scriptures because you're trying to find life in them. The scriptures themselves, as wonderful as they are, they simply are pointing, they're pointing to somebody. Stop looking at the book now because he's there. Right there he is. Go to him. Go to Jesus. Man, I love my wife. And if she could write me love letters, that'd be awesome. But when she comes into the room, I'm not going to ignore her. I'm going to put the letter down because now I got the real deal. <laughs> you hear what I'm saying? I got her. You see what I'm saying? I'm not going to sit there and prude over the letters. I'm like, baby girl, come here. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? She's in the room. You understand? Jesus is the purpose behind the book. He's the reason. And it points me to him. And so I just, and, and Lord, and I want to be like Paul. Lord, that I may know you. Now, Paul went on to say in the power of your resurrection, I want to fellowship with you in everything, even your sufferings. And Paul did. But he wasn't suffering so that God would accept him. He just said, I know I'm working for you, and everybody ain't going to like it, but I'm willing to suffer. Lord, but that, that, he said, I count all this but dumb that I might know you in the power of your resurrection and in the fellowship of your suffering. But he said, my heart is to know you. He said, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I was of the tribe of Benjamin. I was educated. I had all this knowledge. I had all this Bible in me, and I was actually going around and working against you because I thought I was doing your service. But he said, I met a man on a road called Damascus. And that man said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I met a person, and that person changed my life. He changed everything about me. And I was such a bad guy, the church was afraid to even embrace me. They thought I was a murderer, and I was just deceiving them. But that man changed my life. See, I don't understand people. I don't grace God. I'm, I can sin. Jesus changes everything. He, I mean, he, he, it's okay. he's working with us. We're all a work in progress, but he changes everything. I don't want to be that old guy. I don't want to be that guy no more that I used to be. I don't want to be that guy. I remember being that guy. You know what I'm talking about. I don't want to be that. I don't want to live in the pig pen. I don't want to eat out the dumpster. I've eat out the dumpster. I like it at Papa's table. <laughs> I like the peace that comes from eating at Papa's table. Sometimes I'm just like you. I get worried about stuff. I, I admit it. I get worried about finances. What if this and what's going to happen with this? And, what? and then I have to go, wait a minute now, Dale. Wait a minute. Now, how old are you? You didn't? Okay. Up to this moment, he's taking care of you, right? Right up to this moment, you ain't done without it, it, it came through venues and rivers and tributaries that you maybe you didn't expect, but he took care of you right up to this present moment. And, boy, that gives me confidence. I say, I believe you're going to see me the rest of the way through, Father. I believe you're going to provide for me the rest of the way. I don't know how it's what it's going to look like. I don't know what I'm going to be, you know, what avenue that you'll use and what men and company and this and that you'll use. But I know this, you're going to always be Papa. You're going to always be there for me. You done proved it for 61 years. Why would you drop off the earth right now and leave me alone? No, you're going to be there for me. You're going to provide for me. You're going to be there. 
Because see, men, especially men, and I'm not saying women don't deal with this too, but men, you know, they want to be a provider, and that's rightly so. And you, you want to provide and provide for your family, and not, not just your immediate family, your grandchildren. You want to leave an inheritance. You want, you, you, you want to be that guy. And sometimes, you know, but you, sometimes you get to feeling like that you're the provider, but you're really not the provider. The thing that we say over the offering, Lord, you're our provider. By us giving is, is you know, when we do communion, it says when we do communion, we're remembering his death. But it says when we bring our tithe, we're remembering his, that he's alive. That's what Paul said, tithe. It's, it's a remembrance that he is alive. And, and Lord, I'm not afraid to release this because you're my provider. You're my provider. It makes a difference in our lives. You know, I mean, I just watch God do it all the time. I just watch God do it all the time. It's just, he's just an amazing God. He does it ways you would never think he would do it, but he always does it. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? You receive it this morning. Would you give him praise then and praise him for his word? Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, praise you, Jesus. Sister Connie Powell. Hey, darling. I know I'm shocking you by calling your name. I dreamed about you last night. I dreamed you'd be here and I'm supposed to pray for you. Would you come up here and can I pray for you? Amen. Could I get some of my elders? She's just one of our precious, precious ladies of the church. I don't think I've ever just called you out like that, have I, Connie? It's okay. It's all good. You know, sometimes, you know, and I'm just a guy going for it, okay? But uh, I really feel like the Lord just instructed me in my dream last night that, that I was, number one, that you would be here. And I didn't even realize that till I got on the stage. And I looked over and I said, well, there she is. So that's one piece of the puzzle right there. <laughs> She's here. It'd be hard to pray for if she wasn't here. And I just feel like you've been battling some things even in your body. I want to pray healing for you. I'm declaring that any of the headaches or anything that's been going on is going to, up, up in here, uh, is leaving you today. I'm, I'm believing for healing. Does that sound on target? Amen. You've been having problems here and, and headaches and things with your head and things. And, okay. Huh? Dizziness. Yeah. And so the Lord, I just saw me uh, last night in a dream. I was praying for your head. And... Um, and I, and I, I just declare you healed. Why would God? Why would God even bother me in the middle of the night and say, Connie Powell, you pray for my daughter and lay hands on her uh, in the service? So that's I'm just being obedient to Papa, who loves you more than I'm able to describe. So Connie, bless your heart. I lay my hands in the name of Jesus. Father, you said we would lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. So I declare absolute recovery for this precious lady by the stripes upon the back of Jesus. By his stripes, she is, was, and forever will be healed. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Connie, I believe the dizziness, headache, anything I do with this head goes now. Walk in that freedom. You believe it? You go and enjoy it the rest of the day. Amen. God bless you, darling. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. I love when God does that on Saturday nights. <laughs> I never get it when I pray for it, but if I just go to bed, then sometimes he'll do that. And it just shows me how much, well, why does he pray for that one? Because he loves her. And I just saw myself, and maybe I'm such a dull guy, you know, hard of hearing that God has to show me a video. 
to get it. I don't care. I don't, I don't care. However it comes. And he loves you. And if you're suffering with something, he's not limited just to her. He's big enough to heal you right where you stand. Just believe in him. Because it's not by your prayer, it's not by my prayer, but it's by his stripes that you were healed. So put your confidence in that. And say, Lord, you know, I've been having it. And just say, I, and I receive that. Because right now, if the Lord's here to heal one, he's here to heal everyone. Amen. Amen. So if you've got something in your body that needs healing, would you just leap your hand up as an act of faith and say, Lord, I need, I need healing. Right now in Jesus' name, you see the hands, and you know what the hands raised represent to you, Papa. So in the name of Jesus, we put our faith and confidence in you. Not in a man's prayer, but in Jesus' stripes. By your stripes, they are healed. They are healed in Jesus' name. Amen. Just say, I receive it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, give him one more praise. God bless you. We love you. We'll see you next Sunday.